Let's go ahead and open our Bibles over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. There are certain messages that I give regularly, and when I say regularly, it's usually once every two years, one or two years, because I believe that they are very important and they very much need to be repeated. This one, if you are a Christian who witnesses, this is one that will be particularly important for you to know, which that means all of us, it should be important to all of us because we should all be witnessing, sharing the gospel. And what I'm talking about is four major reasons why people doubt their salvation. Four major reasons why people doubt their salvation. I'm getting emails from people on a regular basis who are struggling with whether they're saved or not. Can I tell you the emails that I read it is obvious without the people saying it that this can be very agonizing for them. Very agonizing for them. They're very, some of these people are very distraught. They have a high respect for God. They have an understanding of their sinfulness. And they want to know that they're saved. They really do. And it breaks my heart to know, especially as with some of these people, I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth through email, trying to counsel with them, trying to get them to get an understanding of it. For an example, this is one, and, and I went back and forth with this young man, I believe he's a young man, several emails. I'll just uh, tell you one of them, though. It's, it's uh, Dr. Kakuze. He says, I just read your booklet, and I'm assuming he's talking about permanence of salvation. I just read your booklet. I have been trying to have peace about my salvation for several years now. I believe in Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for my sins. He is the only way, but I constantly fear I haven't, quote-unquote, truly believed or had enough faith or trusted my own works too much, even though I know it's through Jesus Christ alone and his grace. Are you hearing all the contradictory comments in here? Could you please help me have peace? What does it mean to confess the Lord Jesus and to hear Jesus' word and believe? Jesus said a lot, and I wonder what all I have to do to believe. Or excuse me, what all I have to believe. I believe I am saved, but even as I write this, a voice says, no, you're not. I asked Jesus to save me as a little boy and have believed Jesus died for my sins my whole life. I have prayed a million times, but I need peace that stays. Thanks. Now, folks, uh, he's not alone. There are other people out there who are struggling with this issue as one. There's a lady who is just, I'm not sure, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a rude way. I'm not sure if, if, she, if her thinking is clear or not. Very unusual conversations we've had. And to be honest with you, and this is through email. To be honest with you, it seems like a very tormented soul. What are reasons? Why is it that people don't have the assurance of salvation? Well, I think there's four main ones, and I want to cover those in this message. Let me give you the first one. And the first one may strike you as a little strange until you hear it through. The first one is this. One of the reasons that people doubt whether they're saved or not is because, number one, they aren't truly saved. They're not truly saved. Can I say that everybody who says they're a Christian isn't a Christian? 
And there are people who think they're saved who aren't saved. Now, I don't believe in what's called lordship salvation. We believe it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We believe in free grace. Of course, that's the only way grace is. It only is free. But there are people who aren't truly saved. In other words, they've never truly understood the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ alone as their savior. Now, if they haven't, they shouldn't think they're saved. They shouldn't feel saved. They shouldn't have the peace of God. They shouldn't have peace with God because if they haven't trusted Christ by faith, they don't have peace with God. So you don't want them to have a false assurance, all right? And I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but, you know, we have a responsibility to probe a little bit with people. When they say, oh, I'm a believer, just say, that is great. You know, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I'm born again. Well, that's awesome, John 3. What do you mean by that? And go further and find out what they mean. And even if they say, well, I've accepted the Lord as my Savior, Say, you know, that's great. Is there anything else to getting to heaven? And many times they'll say, well, sure. I need to do this and I need to do this and this and this and this. Well, they're still trusting in works. They believe Jesus is part of the answer, but not the answer. And that's not salvation. That's not salvation. Now you might say, well, aren't there sometimes when people are saved but mixed up? Yeah, I'm getting to that. But let's talk about this first one. First, they've never truly understood the gospel and trusted Christ alone as their Savior. Because of this, they are still under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they should doubt their salvation because they don't have salvation. You don't want somebody to have a a false hope. A false hope is better than no hope. A false hope, you have to undo a person's thinking before they'll see the truth. Somebody with no hope, they're open. They're saying, give me the truth. I want to believe it. A person with false hope, though, you give them the truth and they say, I can't accept that. That's too easy. I'm trusting in this. They've got a false hope. The late Dr. Hank Lindstrom, a great, great Bible teacher. He was a pastor of Calvary Community Church in Tampa, Florida. And he, when he would give his testimony, he didn't get saved until he was a young man, older teenager, or, or maybe even 20, 21 years old led to the Lord by Dr. Stanford. And, um, and he gives his testimony, and I can't remember which religion. And he was a very intelligent man. He had an engineering type mind. And, but he gives, he gives the testimony, and he was told growing up in the church he grew up in was that the way you get saved is you ask Jesus to come into your heart. This is what he was told. Now, you know, some churches explain that as put your faith in Christ. They make it synonymous. And so there are people who get saved under that, but they're thinking in their mind, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. Now, that's not an excuse for poor terminology because that is very poor terminology. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Did you know that? Nowhere does it say that. Not one place. That's been made up by religion. But Dr. Lindstrom, given his testimony, he says growing up, he estimated that growing up, because he, he heard, you know, okay, now's the time, you know, you need to be saved and all this. And he was told that he needed to ask Jesus to come into his heart. And he says he estimated that he did it hundreds and hundreds of times. And he was never saved. Hundreds of times. And he was never saved. He did not have the peace of God. Why? 
Well, because he wasn't saved. He shouldn't have the peace of God. And so he should have doubted his salvation. And he did until he heard Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He understood that Jesus died, died in his place, completely paid his sin debt in full, came back from the dead to prove it. And all you need do is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who died and paid for all your sins. And God will give you as a gift everlasting life. He'd never lose you. He'd never cast you out. And you can know you're going to heaven because that's what the Bible says. And he trusted Christ the Savior and he was saved that night. First time he heard it, clearly he trusted Christ and he was saved and he had the assurance for the rest of his life. He had the assurance of salvation. Now that's the way it's supposed to be. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, uh, well, actually, we'll, we'll look at verse 10. It says, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Isn't that amazing? Verse 12, every word there is one syllable. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you see what the Bible says? It says, if you believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus, his name means God who is our Savior. When you put your faith in him, when you believe in him, you're believing in him that he is God who will save you. You're trusting in him to save you. Okay, God who is the Savior who's paid for your sins. And when you put your faith in him, he's looking for faith. It says in Romans 4, 5, his faith is counted for righteousness. And God gives you eternal life and you're born again. And the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. Based on what? Based on the fact that God cannot lie and you can believe what he says. Because if you don't believe what he says, according to verse 10, you're calling him a liar. See, this is something to, to deal with. Now, this young man that I just read this letter from, we went back and forth, back and forth. I don't always do this, but with this, this young man, I said, well, here's what you should do. I said, what you should do is you should get your Bible out, go to 1 John 5, 13. And I said, talk to God out loud and say, say something like this. Say, Lord, you know what? I may have never been saved until today, but right now, I am trusting in Jesus Christ to save me. And I am claiming what you said here in 1 John 5, 13, that I can know that I have eternal life because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, tell him that. And I said, not only tell him that, but I said, why don't you go to one of the blank pages, either in the front or the back of your Bible and write down, today I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my savior. Based on 1 John 5, 13, I know I have eternal life. And date it and sign it. Put your name there, all right? And when you have doubts, go back to the word and go back to that where you wrote that and think about that. And I said, I believe if you'll, if you'll think about this and focus on this, I believe God will give you assurance of salvation. Now, I don't usually go to that extent, but, you know, uh, I can remember when I was in Bible college, you know, uh, uh, people, kids, because um, that was the first thing in, in Bible college is making sure the students were saved. And uh, one of the teachers 
you know, he was bringing up all these kind of things, almost like playing with my mind a little bit. And I was starting to get trouble because I knew I had salvation. But now all of a sudden, what's he doing? He wasn't trying to get me to doubt, but he was just talking about these things. Well, the devil was taking the things that we were learning in class and kind of starting to attack me with them a little bit. And uh, he told the story, he said, you know, someone said, you know, the devil dwells in dark places and all that. Uh, a little, little mom came in one night to, uh, to put her, her young boy to, to bed. And, and she said, Johnny, what are you doing? Because he had his Bible and he had it under the bed and he was going like this with his Bible. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, the, it said that, you know, Satan is in dark places and I'm just showing him First John five thirteen, you know, just to, to let him know for sure that I had eternal life, that I knew I was saved based on what God says. See, folks, that is what it comes down to. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. And it isn't a matter of feeling saved. Now, some of us, when we got saved, we, yes, but that was our experience. That's not doctrine. It's our experience. We did feel like a piano was taken off our back. That's the way it was with me. But it's not that way with everybody. But this is one reason why people doubt their salvation, because they're not saved. And so they need to put their trust in Christ. They need to understand the gospel and put their faith in Christ. All right, let's go to the second one. Second reason people doubt their salvation is because once saved, they have fallen into error. Once they were saved, they have fallen into error. This is one of the reasons why the book of Galatians was written. This is what happened to the Galatian believers. And we won't cover the whole book because that's what we've been doing on Sunday mornings. But turn with me over to Galatians, would you? Galatians chapter 1. We'll just look at a couple verses here. This was one of the reasons why the book of Galatians was written. It was to straighten out believers who had been polluted and moved away from grace. They were mixing grace and works. Their assurance of salvation had been undermined by false teachers. These are saved people. But false teachers came in and started polluting grace and it made these people confused and they were captivated by the false teaching and they got sucked into it. And as a result, this many times can cause a person to start doubting whether they're saved or not. Why? Because some error, some false teacher came along and started telling them things. Now, can I tell you, this happens all the time today. We do not have a shortage in the world of false teachers. If anything, there's a shortage of sound teachers. False teachers abound. Very few preachers and teachers on the radio that you hear on Christian radio give the gospel as it is. The vast majority of them pollute the gospel. They add works of one kind or another to the gospel. And what really makes it difficult is there are some who say it clearly sometimes and then other times they mess it up. And it's the same guy. One week he'll be clear. Another week he'll put works into the gospel. And so people will say, oh, I heard Dr. So-and-so. Boy, did he give the gospel clear and plain. And I'm thinking, boy, that guy just butchers it in a royal way. What do you mean he gave it clearly? Well, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. That's true. Now, there are those who never give it clearly. But error is error. So they were mixing grace and works. And their assurance had been undermined by false teachers. You see, some people get saved and then immediately start going to a church or a Bible study that preaches a false gospel 
Or they'll all be around there and they'll, and they'll say things like, well, you know, what you need to get, oh, you're, you're safe, you're a believer now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, are, are you sure? Well, yeah, I, I believe I am. I put my faith in Christ. Well, well, that's good, but you know, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. What do you mean? Well, you need to get a good study Bible. You know, why don't you go get a MacArthur study Bible and start studying and start reading the notes and all that? Well, let me tell you, folks, there's no assurance there because he preaches a lordship salvation, which is adding works to grace, which is a false gospel. But you see these new believers, they're babes in Christ and they're naive. They're naive. They don't know. And so they just believe because there's nice people who are, hey, you know, I, uh, these, are, these are Christians. And so, sure, I'll go to your Bible study or, yeah, I'll go to your church. And they're, they're newly saved and they start going to a church that messes up the gospel. And because they don't know any better, because they haven't learned a lot of discernment yet. Now, some people have it right away and others, they get persuaded and they're not as stable. And they go off onto this stuff and they get polluted and they get wrecked. There are many who believe you're saved by grace and then kept by works. Or there are those who believe that you must persevere in order to be saved. The Arminians, you're saved by grace, kept by works, which is works. The Calvinists, you're saved by grace, but you can't know you're saved unless you're faithful your whole life and die in faith, which is works. Both are works. Arminians and Calvinists are actually preaching the same message. It's just where they put the assurance of salvation or lack thereof. Now, they hate it when you say that, but it's true. Galatians 1.6, what's it say? say? Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ. See that? Unto another gospel, which is not another, because there's only one. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert, pervert. That word pervert means to twist or distort into something of an opposite character. It's like turning light into darkness. That's how the Bible uses that a description of the opposite character. From light to darkness, darkness to light, that kind of an idea. From grace to what? Works. From the message of salvation to a message of damnation, literally. When we put good works into the gospel, we're polluting the only way of heaven. And therefore, we're shutting the door to people because if it's not all by grace, then they'll never be saved. Paul was very firm. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Anathema, under the wrath of God. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Strong language, but that's the importance of this. But you see, people doubt their salvation because they have fallen into error. You're in chapter 1. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, put you under a spell, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, they knew it was by faith. And then he has another question. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? What's he saying? If the flesh couldn't save you to begin with, the flesh can't keep you. The flesh has no power. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. It's not by works. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, 
which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by what? Faith, not faith and works, faith. You put your faith in Christ, you're justified. You're declared righteous in God's eyes. And so we see a second reason why people doubt their salvation is because once they get saved, they quickly many times fall into error. Or can I tell you this? Sometimes it's not quickly. I know people who have been saved and have preached the gospel of grace or believed the gospel of grace for years. And then you find out later they no longer believe that. They now believe in a lordship salvation, a mixture of grace and works. And this is what they hold to. Well, what happened? Well, they fell into error. And the truth of it is they don't know they're saved. They can't know they're saved because it's based on their performance now. If it's based on your performance, there is no assurance. But you see the assurance, what is the Bible? How does the Bible say you can know that you have eternal life? It says if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know you have eternal life. Did you know that's the only place in the Bible where it says that? It's amazing. Let me give you a third reason why people doubt their salvation is because they're not grounded in the faith. Now, this is related to number two, but it's not exactly the same. It's not exactly the same. You might say, well, it sounds the same. No, it isn't. Because remember, there are people who know the truth and they might be babes and therefore they're not grounded. But some people aren't babes. Later on, Satan throws them a curveball or a lure and they bite on it and they take it. And even though they were grounded and even though they were sound in the faith, now they don't preach that. They don't believe that anymore. This group, number three, they're not grounded in the faith. This is usually an issue of ignorance. Ignorance. They just don't know. There's a lot of people that way. Let me ask you, how many churches do you know that teach or preach the Bible verse by verse? Very few. Very few churches. And if they're not preaching it verse by verse, you know what? To some extent, there's a famine in the land because that is what we're supposed to be getting is the word of God. You can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong. But there are a lot of people not grounded in the faith. And this is an issue of ignorance. They simply don't understand enough yet. All right. And so they'll say things like this. You know, I put my faith in the Lord, but I don't feel saved. I don't feel saved. And I'll say to people, and not in a condescending way, but in sincerity, because I want them to think, I'll say this, what does it feel like to be saved? Can you tell me where that is, where you feel there's a feeling of that? All right, maybe like the Mormons, a burning in the bosom. I call that heartburn, I don't know. But listen, uh, the way you feel is affected by a lot of things. You could be going through, you know, you could be suffering depression and you don't feel anything. You're numb. You're just sad. You're sorrowful all the time. You live in a dark cloud. That's the way it is for depressed people. They live in darkness and they carry this cloud around with them all the time. Well, they're not going to feel saved. They're not going to feel good at all. So you can't base it on, well, I, I know I'm saved because I feel good. You know, I'm clicking up my heels spiritually and all this. Well, they're not clicking up their heels. You know, some people are affected by trials. Some people are affected by health. Some people are affected by the weather. How about this one? As far as them not being grounded in the faith, they don't understand the two natures. This is a major reason why people doubt their salvation, but that's an issue of not being grounded in the faith. 
They're, being, they're ignorant of the truth. They don't understand that when you're born into the world, you have an old nature. When you get saved, you get a new nature, but the old nature is still there. Because most churches teach that once you get saved, the old is gone. You don't have a problem with the old nature anymore. Say, what about 2 Corinthians 5, 17? That's a positional verse. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean you don't sin anymore, that you don't have a craving for sin. What it means is that your old standing before God is gone now. It's passed away because now you're a child of God. You were a child of darkness. Now you're a child of light. You were a child of devil. Now you're a child of God. You were under condemnation. Now you're justified. You were on your way to hell. Now you're on your way to heaven. This is positional truth. But this issue of the two natures and a lot of people, you know, I thought I was saved, but I'm still sinning. I still get evil thoughts. I'm, here's what they say. I've heard it. I must not be saved. Why not? I still get evil thoughts. I must not be saved. Well, you know, there's two reasons you get evil thoughts. One is the devil shooting darts at you. And the other is your old nature. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Let me tell you something. When the heart is more deceitful than the devil and the devil is their enemy, We've got some real serious opposition, don't we? You know what we need? We need the word of God to get grounded and to understand, wait a minute, my position in Christ never changes. My condition may change in my day-to-day life, but my position in eternity never changes. I'm a child of God forever. That's our security. And you can know you have eternal life, even if you have a bad day, even if you have a day when you're mean-spirited and you're nasty, okay? You can still know you're saved. Now, we shouldn't be mean-spirited and nasty. But you see, once a person understands the two nature, it clears up a lot of false ideas and misconceptions. But until you understand that, you can very easily doubt your salvation. There can be problems and all kinds of confusion. I know we covered this this last week. Look with me over to Galatians chapter 5, which is where we were on Sunday. Galatians 5, 16, walk in the Spirit, live under the control of the Holy Spirit, be obedient to Him, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You notice there's no denying that the flesh is still there. Yet most of your radio Bible teachers, oh, if you're saved, you know what? All life is going to change. You're going to hate the things you once loved and love the things you once hated. Everything's going to change, all right? And if you're not that way... Yet a head belief, not a heart belief, whatever that means. Or they'll even go further. Boy, this is enough to make you throw up. I mean, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. You're going to miss heaven by 18 inches because you didn't believe in your heart. You believed in your head about 18 inches. I guess depends on how tall you are. All right. Now, folks, listen, that may sound eloquent to some people, but that is just false doctrine. That's got no place in the pulpit. No place. You believe, okay? Yeah, but what about it's uh, the heart? Okay, what about this? Jesus says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Wait a minute. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts? If the way most people interpret that, it shouldn't be out of the heart proceeds evil feelings? But all of a sudden, we're thinking with our hearts. Well, that's got to be connected with our thinking, our minds, right? You see, just a little thinking goes a long way on this. It really does. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth or wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. This is going on inside a believer. 
These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So what do we do? We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We trust in him and then we step out in obedience to his word. And then we can have victory over the old nature. But the old nature is still there till the day you die. Doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better. We can grow spiritually and become more mature and develop good habit patterns in our lives to where we are becoming what God wants us to be, changed into his image, so to speak. But listen, the old sin nature is still there. You know, I mean... There are some people, and and this is a terrible thought, and I certainly don't endorse it. There are some people, if you were to say to them, you know what, Christians can murder people? They would say, you are a loony. You're crazy. There's no way a Christian could ever take the life of another person. That is just total ignorance, folks. As long as you're a sinner, you can do it. As long as you're a sinner, you can do it. All right, let's look at our last one. People doubt their salvation because of a sinful lifestyle. Look with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. A sinful lifestyle. Believers who backslide and they get off and they start living in the flesh and they start pursuing a life in the flesh. Is it right? No, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. We should exercise ourselves unto godliness, not unto carnality. But it can happen. Why? Because we still got an old nature. The ability's still there. The pull's still there. Because of a sinful lifestyle, this is a habitual path of sin. It can cloud a person's thinking and understanding about their salvation. Sin is blinding, okay? When we do not walk in the light, we walk in what? In the dark, in darkness. Ephesians chapter 4 makes that very clear. Our judgment is impaired because we're walking in darkness. And when our judgment is impaired, our thinking is skewed. And when our thinking is skewed, we start adopting wrong ideas. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked with over the years. Now, I didn't know they were Christians at the beginning, but I start talking to them. I say, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Well, I'm not sure. Let's tell you that. I'm not sure. And I figure, okay, they're not saved. And so I start talking to them and go over the gospel and all that. I've had some over the years, now many of them have said this, but I've had some over the years say, oh, you know what? Well, yeah, I know I have eternal life. And they'll say this, I put my faith in Christ when I was a kid in Awana. I trusted Christ. But what happened? Wait a minute, you came in here, you didn't know you're saved. Now all of a sudden, yeah, you know you're saved now. What happened? You You got exposed to the light again. But you haven't been reading your Bible. You haven't been walking with the Lord. You've been living in the flesh. You haven't been walking in the light as he is in the light. You've been walking in darkness. And what happens when you walk in darkness? Your judgment becomes skewed. You don't think clearly. You don't see clearly. You make poor judgments. You misread things. It's like getting up in the middle of the night and running into a wall, right? That happens even if you don't mean to. Second Peter 1 verse 5 says, And besides this, he's talking to believers, And besides this, giving all diligence adds to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, self-control and to self-control patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, okay? So it's not that you're just saved. You're walking with Christ now. They're abounding in you. These things are really taking, taking uh, they're coming to fruition. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the word of contrast, he that lacketh these things is what? Blind and cannot see afar off. Now watch this. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That happens. God says it. So a person can doubt their salvation because of a sinful lifestyle. Hath forgotten, all right? One lexicon, Loenida lexicon, says this, the word forgotten. It means to not recall information and thus to lose sight of its significance. That's a pretty good definition of forgotten. To not recall information and thus to lose sight of its significance. There are people who are saved who have no clue about it anymore. Why? Because they've been so far away from God, they've been blinded because of the darkness there and they've forgotten that they were purged. But you know, you start going over the gospel again with them. I've talked to people in jail or this way. You know, you think, oh, they're in jail. Man, they need the Lord. You find out they've got the Lord. They just forgot they've got him. That sounds pathetic, but it's true. What's the solution? Verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, okay? For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. You notice it doesn't say you'll go to heaven. That's not what it's talking about. Making your calling and election sure, the word sure means stable. It means make it stable. Make your salvation stable. Make your Christian life stable. For if you do these things, you won't fall. A believer who walks in trusting obedience to the Lord and his word will become stable and the uncertainties will fade away in his life. He'll start growing and maturing the way he should, the way God desires it. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You notice the emphasis here is not just entrance, but the abundant entrance. This speaks of reward for the faithful believer. Not just an entrance, but an abundant one into the kingdom. Okay? I like to put it this way. This has to do with going to heaven in style. Not just showing up there, but going to heaven in style. An abundant entrance. Why? You've been faithful. You've lived for Christ. And there's great reward. By the way, the word abundantly or abundant here means richly. Richly. It's the same word as used in Colossians 3.16 where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Same Greek word. All right? One more verse. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. So what is the solution to all this? Well, first, remember the first reason? If you doubt your salvation, put your trust in Christ. If you've never trusted Christ alone as your Savior, you should doubt your salvation. But if you put your faith in Christ, 1 John 5, 13 says, because you believed, you can know that you have eternal life. So that's great. And then what should you do? Start growing as a Christian, not to be saved or stay saved, but because you are saved. It says in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, just like you were saved by grace, or uh, 2 Peter 3, 18, excuse me. It says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Four major reasons people doubt their salvation. And you know what? There's solutions for all four. Isn't that just like the Lord? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. 
Thank you so much, and God bless you.